Thank you. So good to be with you guys again, uh, this time live, which is fun. I was telling Dick as I was um, preparing for the message, I can't wait um, till we can gather again and I can actually drive over and be in real life person with all of you. So fun to be with you this morning. Um, so a, a few weeks ago, uh, Jeff and I and our teenage kids, um, we planned a day to reflect and process the last year you know, the thing that you do when the calendar turns, right? And personally, for me personally, I've had this predictable pattern um, at the end of each year to do some reflecting myself so that I can hear what the father wants to tell me about the year that's gone by and receive his word for me for the year ahead, right? Um, but this year, this past year was a doozy. Uh, and it was a, a really big year for our whole family. And so we felt like it needed some full on family processing together. And to be honest, we approached said processing with some trepidation. Um, it wouldn't have been a healthy choice, but it was tempting to sort of look past it, to stuff it all and to keep moving forward. Sort of like, let's not speak of this last year. But I knew in my gut that the Lord had something to say to us. And I didn't want to miss that. I didn't want my kids to miss that. And so I got out my life-size whiteboard. I have a love relationship with whiteboards and I have this huge one that I use for work. And so I got out the whiteboard and I started making this timeline from January through December of this last year. And across the length of the whiteboard, month by month, listing out the big weighty moments of our year. And it felt like a good place to start to kind of review where we've been. And then I called everyone to come and join me around the whiteboard and my family showed up with wincy faces. Uh, reading those words, looking at those moments of our year caused some of us to get a little quiet. One of the people in my family curled up in the fetal position on the couch because it took a lot of bravery to look at it all head on. You see the first week of January, as we kind of reflected on our year, the first week of January started with putting our house on the market, a house that we completely remodeled a few years back, a house that we loved, that really felt like us in a neighborhood that we deeply love with people that we deeply love. But our family lives as missionaries wherever we are. And we felt like God was inviting us on this big adventure to move to this new missional frontier. Not only that, but his word to us that we had tons of clarity on. His word to us then was to go in weakness and trust his provision on the, along the way, which to me as a planner felt like jumping off a cliff without a parachute, like literally living on a prayer, right? But we're not opposed to doing the crazy thing because God said and completely trusting him with it. And so my husband, Jeff, quit his job we sold our house, we packed all of our stuff into one of those pods, and we moved across the country to Oregon to invest in this young missional church out there. Two weeks later, two weeks, two weeks later, COVID hit. And here we are, having left everything behind, we're living with another family in their house, in their basement, in transition. Jeff didn't have a job yet. The company that he was connecting with put on a hiring freeze. And this is where the wincy faces come in, right? All of our hope and all of our anticipation about what God was doing very quickly turned into 
a wee bit of panic, uh, some grief, a little bit of breathing into a paper bag, and that just barely gets us into March. Now, everyone has a story from this last year. This is just the beginning of ours, but you all have one too, because it was the year of earthquakes. Earthquakes, where the, the ground underneath you is shaking and it feels like everything is crumbling down around you. And many of these earthquakes that we've all experienced together had aftershocks. For some of us, there was reoccurring trauma, aftershock on top of aftershock for some of us in this virtual space with COVID, losing people that we love to this virus or to politics and cancel culture. We've got George Floyd working from home, schooling from home for months. And the thing about life's earthquakes, these big disorienting events that knock us flat, where we feel like we're clinging for dear life and we're crying out to God to rescue us. And what's left after an earthquake is a bunch of rubble where you're trying to pick up the pieces of your life. You're digging through what's left crumbled on the ground and you're trying to put the pieces of your life back together. So the rubble of 2020 is exhaustion, grief, loss, fear, loneliness and isolation, having to rebuild, having to retrain, parents multitasking the rebuilding and retraining while homeschooling their grieving disoriented kids. There's rubble all around us. And as we look at this rubble and as we look at the mess around us, we have options for how we respond, right? Now, I don't know about you, but when I find myself in the midst of one of life's earthquakes, what I want, what I desire, what I want is an eject button. Get me out of this fast. God, come to my rescue because this is uncomfortable. And sometimes we don't know what the future looks like. And it does feel like we're clinging for dear life and we just want out of this painful, disorienting mess, right? Take me back to the mountaintop. Take me back to the, the peace and the boring and the, the consistency because this doesn't feel good. And so what I want when life's earthquakes hit is to get out as quickly as possible or to get through it as fast as possible. But there can be a danger too, right? Because earthquakes can be so disorienting that they make us question everything. God, where are you? Why did you let this happen? Why aren't you rescuing me? Why aren't you fixing this? And sometimes we almost lose our faith. And as followers of Jesus, in our desperation, in our deep need, we know that the thing that we can cling to is God's word, the inspired, unchanging, unwavering word of God. And so this morning, as we're thinking about the earthquakes of life, there are, there are many people throughout the story of the Bible that have earthquake stories. But the one that I would love for us to dwell in this morning is a piece of David's story from Psalm 56. And so I'd love to read this um, together love to read this for us again. So let me share my screen. This is in um, Psalm 56, and I'm going to read the, the, the Passion Translation this morning. It says, Lord, show me 
your kindness and mercy. For these men oppose and oppress me all day long. Not a day goes by but that somebody harasses me. So many in their pride trample me under their feet. But in the day that I'm afraid, I lay all my fears before you and I trust in you with all my heart. What harm could a man bring to me? With God on my side, I will not be afraid of what comes. The roaring praises of God fill my heart and I will always triumph as I trust his promises. Day after day, cruel critics distort my words. Constantly they plot my collapse. Lurking in the dark, waiting, spying on my, uh, on my moments in secret to take me by surprise, ready to take my life. They don't deserve to get away with this. Look at their wickedness, their injustice, Lord, and your fierce anger cast them down to defeat. You've kept track of all my wandering and my weeping. You've stored my many tears in your bottle. Not one will be lost, for they are recorded in your book of remembrance. The very moment I call to you for a father's help, the tide of battle turns and my enemies flee. This one thing I know. God is on my side. I trust in the Lord and I praise him. I trust in the word of God and I praise him. What harm could man do to me? With God on my side, I will not be afraid of what comes. My heart overflows with praise to God and for his promises. I will always trust in him. So I'm thanking you with all my heart, with gratitude for all you've done. I will do everything that I've promised you, Lord, for you have saved my soul from death and my feet from stumbling so that I can walk before the Lord bathed in his life-giving light. For David, his life circumstances were real. When he wrote this psalm, as he penned this psalm, he was in imminent danger. He was crying out to God for help, as we see him do in many other psalms. David, David's life was one who, as we read through the Psalms, um, our, our perceptions are real. He was constantly under attack. He had persistent enemies. And so when he wrote this particular Psalm, he was captured by the Philistines in Gath. And he was under some sort of restraint. And so we see through this Psalm that David certainly felt like his current situation was very dangerous. But what's interesting is this Psalm, similar to others, the format of how David sets up this Psalm, um, he first tells God his problem, and then he prays for deliverance, and then he ends with praise and triumph. He tells God his problem, he prays for deliverance, and he ends with praise and triumph. So here's a guy who's in imminent danger, and he asks God's, for God's rescue, but he ends with praise and triumph, because the thing about David is that he's a worshiper. And so here we see David's desperate for his life and he wanted out. He wanted God to rescue him. But at the end of the day, his response was still worship. No matter the outcome of his, of his circumstances, no matter how his circumstances turned out, his response, his posture before the Lord was complete trust in God's character, in who he knew God to be. Because before this circumstance ever happened, before this moment, David had cultivated such a life of intimacy in his relationship with the Father where he knew God and he felt known by him. 
Verse four says, with God on my side, I will not be afraid of what comes. No matter what, I'm not going to be afraid of my circumstances, no matter how they turn out. With God on my side, I will not be afraid of what comes. The roaring praises of God fill my heart, and I will always triumph as I trust his promises. So David, the worshiper who's in imminent danger, his life is in danger, he trusted God's character. And his experience of God up to this point is that God makes good on his promises. And so in the midst of this desperate situation, David knew because of his experience with God, because of what he knows about God's character, because he's cultivated this relationship of intimacy, David knew that he could still trust him. And the other thing that, that catches my eye is that it is David describing God's tenderness, how he collects, God collects David's tears in a bottle and he doesn't lose track of, of any of them. So David is speaking to the closeness of the father, the tenderness and the deep care of his father in heaven, his nearness, God's nearness to the ones that he loves. And so as we sit this morning with this, with, with Psalm 56, and we're thinking about earthquakes, life's earthquakes, what we learn from David, the worshiper, is that we see that David's posture The way that he is approaching God, his posture before the Lord is worship. Because of God's character, no matter the the outcome of his circumstances. And so if we see that David can, in the midst of, again, eminent danger, if we see that David can posture himself as a worshiper, no matter the outcome of his circumstances, then we can continue to dig and learn and collect these pieces of who God always is, the pieces of God's character, so that we can respond with a posture of worship, no matter the outcome of our earthquake moments as well. And so even just in this psalm, we see that David, uh, as we kind of dig for the character pieces, right? Who is God? Who, who, does, who does David through this psalm, as he penned this psalm, who does David know God to be? Well, we see that David names that God is a powerful rescuer. He's, he's asking God to rescue him. So God is the rescuer. We see that God is the one who brings justice. David's praying for justice for his enemies, right? And so David wasn't taking that on himself because God was the one who brings justice. We see that David knows God is trustworthy, one who keeps his promises. We see that, that David knows God as tender. We see that um, God, God sees us and he knows about and he cares about every detail. He collects our tears in a bottle. He's near us. He keeps his promises. He's the one who saves. And so here in the midst of this earthquake for David, in the midst of of crying out for his life, he chooses to trust and worship. What might that look like for us? How do we elevate who God is above our circumstances? You see, earthquakes are bigger than us. So when we're in the middle of one of life's life's earthquakes, it's not actually about us. It's about who God is in the middle of it all or where God is in the middle of it all. 
back to our, our family processing this last year around the whiteboard. As we looked, as our family looked at these moments strung out along this horizontal timeline, we could feel these moments like a roller coaster. There were some stunning highs, some amazing moments, stunning highs, and some really deep lows that took our breath away. But the thing that we noticed, without a doubt, all of us, all four of us, the thing that we noticed, without a doubt, was that God was with us. We saw his presence throughout the roller coaster of highs and lows. We recognized his presence with us. Now, we still have feelings about how everything has unfolded over the last year, but it is so clear for us how deeply present God was in the midst of our darkest, hopeless moments. Now, because I've kind of left you in suspense in our story, I'll bring you up to the present really quickly. Um, we, we recognized that we couldn't stay in Oregon, you know, after we packed everything and moved across the country. Um, there were some circumstances that happened that um, allowed us to not, we couldn't stay. And so we had to trust God's word to us that he would provide for us, even as we were taking these big steps of faith. And he did, he did provide for us, never in the ways that we expected, but he did provide for us. And then we made another trek across the country in the opposite direction. And we've now landed in Maine and it's so good and miraculous how God's fitting all the pieces together. And the story is still being written. It's still in process. Um, but God has brought us to a new missional frontier to invest in as a family. But it's one that isn't just about sacrifice. One where God is giving us some of the desires of our hearts that we didn't even feel like we could ask for. And so, again, as we're staring at our life on the whiteboard, uh, processing our last year, one of the things that God reminded us of is that, that honestly we would have missed had we just kind of kept plowing forward into the future. One of the things that, that God showed us and reminded us of is that our, our year started with putting everything on the line, sacrificing preferences, things that we wanted out of obedience to what God said. And it, it was worth it. It felt worth it to us to sacrifice our preferences because God was inviting us on this adventure. And through all of the unexpected twist and twists and turns, God kept blessing us over and over. And so by the end, what we saw as we kind of processed our year is that, yes, there is a call to sacrifice. Following Jesus does involve sacrifice, but it's also an invitation into joy and partnership with him. Now, that doesn't remove, you know, the very real pain and hardship that comes along with life's earthquakes. Those that's still real and valid, right? But if we can see where God is in the midst of our earthquakes, if we can notice his presence with us, his deep nearness in the midst of it, if we can trust his character and who he's always been, we can position ourselves as a worshiper rather than a victim. And that allows us the opportunity to start noticing the miracles rather than miss them altogether. Miracles of provision, of healing, miracles of the way that God is leading us forward. And this, this is what raises our faith, right? And keeps our eyes fixed on his face. So I want to end with a bit of reflection. If you have some paper around you, you can get that out. 
Uh, if you have a notes app on your phone, you can get that out. But I'd love for you to just, I'd love to lead us through a bit of reflection and for you to jot down uh, some notes as we do this reflection together. So as we've been talking about life's earthquakes, uh, as we've been talking about these earthquake moments this morning, what comes to mind for you? Take just a moment and name your earthquakes, those big disorienting moments that knock you flat. What, maybe it's from this last year, maybe it's from um, your past, whatever it is, I'd love for you to jot down, don't overthink it, but jot down a, a couple things, the first things that come to mind. Name some of your earthquakes. What are those big disorienting moments for you? Jot a couple down. To be sure, you likely cried out to God to rescue you in these moments. Maybe you wanted an eject button to get you out fast. But take a step back and think about where was God in the midst of these earthquakes? Can you recognize his presence? As you kind of step back from the bigness of those moments, can you see his nearness? Now, for some of you, that might be easy. For others, the pain might still be too fresh and you, it, it might be difficult. You might have your own wincy face as you're looking at your own earthquakes and that's okay. If that's where you're at, I encourage you to sit with that this week and ask God to show you where he was in the midst of your pain, in the midst of these disorienting moments. What we know from David in Psalm 56 is David says, you've kept track of all my wandering and my weeping. You've stored my many tears in your bottle. Not one will be lost for they're recorded in your book of remembrance. And so we know the promise is that God sees those moments. He recognizes our tears and our pain and he's collected them all. He's with us. We know that, that he's near us. Can we see it? Can we sense God's presence in the midst of these earthquakes? And finally, what about God's character can you trust? What do you know about who he is that is consistent? How has he shown up for you throughout your whole life? As you've built a relationship with the father, who has he proven himself to be? Jot down just a couple words that come to mind. What do you know about God's character that you can trust? Who has he always been to you? Write a couple things down. These things about God's character, these are the things that help position us, help turn our gaze towards him, help us posture ourselves towards God with a, a sense of worship, an attitude of worship, where we can praise God in the midst of our earthquakes just because of who he is. 
And so I want to end with looking again um, at the ending, towards the end of David's psalm, where he says, the one thing I know, this is how we see, we see David positioning his heart towards the Father in the midst of his earthquake. The one thing I know, God is on my side. I trust in the Lord and I praise him. I trust in the word of God and I praise him. What harm could man do to me with God on my side? I will not be afraid of what comes. My heart overflows with a praise, with praise to God for his promises. I will always trust in him. So I'm thanking you with all my heart, with gratitude for all that you've done. So Father, as we hold our earthquakes before you, for some of us right now still feels like an earthquake. Some of us might have some trauma from earthquakes that we've been through. Some of us uh, are remembering the fresh tears from earthquake moments. And so God, I pray that you administer to us right now in that. And would you help us to fix our eyes on you, Jesus? Would you remind us of who you are? Would you help us to recognize your presence with us? The way that you've always been near in the midst, even in the midst of these earthquakes. In Jesus' name, amen.